Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hello, I'm your host, Effie Pilarino, and today uh, I have the pleasure, first of all, of uh, being in Greece uh, on uh, the island where I was born and, and raised and reaching out to the other side of the world, to Latin America, to Dr. Alejandro Betancourt. Welcome, Alejandro. Thank you, Effie. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy and glad to, to be here with you. I have to thank uh, LinkedIn. Um, I always uh, love to connect uh, with uh, new people. Um, I was drawn to some of the content that you share uh, around mainly artificial intelligence and and data uh, in the fintech space as you are uh, truly a specialist or truly you have, I would say the unique combination of having the the academic background if i understand correctly you have a phd in cognitive environments correct and and your undergraduate is in applied math but more importantly you've done a lot of research and and worked with andrew uh, andrew Eng, if I pronounce his name correctly, and published a lot of work. Can you tell us briefly about that so we understand where you're coming from? Yeah, perfect. You, you, you mentioned it right. So yeah, I made a PhD in, in cognitive environments, uh, actually uh, in, in Italy and in Netherlands, in the University of Eindhoven and the University of Genova. And after that, I decided to move to the industry. Like I was really interested to apply everything I have been learning about applied mathematics, about artificial intelligence and so on in the industry. So then I start a very exciting, but a diverse journey applying AI in different fields. So first I moved to Belgium, from Netherlands to Belgium to work for TP Vision, which is Philips Television. And I was creating algorithms for picture quality. Then I moved uh, to my home, like to my home country, not my hometown, uh, to work for an oil and gas company. So we were creating the full digital transformation of that oil and gas company, which is the largest one in, in, in Colombia. And in the process, I get contacted by Andrew and we start chatting about and how, how Latin America can become an AI hub. And there are a lot of talent, a lot of universities that can uh, contribute to the field. Like there is really a sparse talent, a scarce talent in the, in the field. So every country can play a, a significant role in this shift of artificial intelligence. So after a couple of months talking with Andrew, I decided to join Landing AI as technical AI technical lead and, uh, to work with him. We made, uh, that was before pandemic, so we start making a lot of events in Latin America, spreading the word of AI, showing how it can be applied in manufacturing, in computer vision. Uh, we put some of the, of the first building blocks of, of what Landing AI has today, that is Landing Lens, and very, very great job the, the, the team is, is doing there. And, and after that, 
I get involved with a couple of entrepreneurs. So two entrepreneurs in the fintech sector, I speak with, I spoke with them like for one year, like it was it was more like a, a friendship and they were asking me like, why don't you leave a landing AI and join us in, in, in that moment was called Omni Latam and join us in, in Omni Latam, which is now Climb. And, and after a lot of conversation, I decided like, okay, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So I said like, okay, I want, I want a change. That was the, the kind of a inflection point of the pandemic. And, and then I joined them in, in this journey in the, in the fintech sector, which is now three years. And basically the reason I joined them is because there is a lot of data in the field we are working on. So I was always eager to how to apply artificial intelligence and where to find a huge amount of data that we can use to train models, to estimate risk, to, to have more asset under management with low risk and so on. So that was the driver actually to join, to join the company. And we are doing like very exciting work in Latin America with a lot of innovation that a lot of people ask, ask like, why that innovation is coming from Latin America? Why, why it doesn't come to US? Maybe we'll talk later about that, Effie. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, as I was uh, mentioning to you offline, um, I have a, a major affinity to Latin America as it was a, a, a significant part of my early career in um, on, on Wall Street. And um, there's definitely innovation that, you know, we, we could start explaining it. Uh, a big part has to do with human resources, with the people that are um, not only well-trained, in my opinion, extremely creative. Um, and um, the other reason I think is that there are real big problems and people sort of have this attitude that let's take it in our hands to solve it. And, and I guess that's, that's where we're seeing um, innovation. And when you're in the West, uh, whether, you know, especially in Europe, we hear more about the big scale uh, fintechs and mainly about the consumer facing ones, you know, like new bank and, and so on. Of course, we all know that the big innovation that has network effects is at the B2B level and at the infrastructure level. And again, we hear a lot about that and we, we understand, especially in payments, you know, the Brazilian PICS system and things like that. But from what I understand, there's a lot of innovation that will soon have ripple effects and network effects that we are not so aware or the media is not so much talking about. And I wanted to hear from you, uh, what are these innovations that we should be focused on and, and which are the sectors where you think that the subsectors, there is innovation that differs from uh, the developed market innovation and Hopefully later developed markets could benefit from that too. Yeah. Okay. So I will, I will, let me tackle that question in two ways. Like the first one is something I used to present a lot with Andrew and is very general is where AI can really add value. So 
there are a lot of like we used to create a very simple diagram, Venn diagram, on which you have everything that AI can solve and everything that the business can uh, need. AI cannot solve everything of the business. It's like just in the intersection where the, the real uh, return of investment from, from AI uh, and the value will be created. So what is that intersection? That's actually the question for fintechs, for manufacturers, for every, every industry. Like, what is that intersection? Because there is a lot of AI ev evolution and it's, it's amazing, it's very exciting. Like go and read what is happening with uh, large language models, with computer vision and so on. That's super exciting. Like it's impossible to actually keep yourself in the state of the art reading about every single topic these days uh, related with AI. But if you, if you focus on that intersection, there is a lot to do. So the second part uh, to answer that is in, there, there is a field in, in the region in Latin America that actually is years ahead than, than other regions. Let me, let me tell you why, and let me tell you how it starts. And that's actually why I found interesting to, to join Climb. Like in Latin America, we, we used to have uh, some, some governments and, and evasion was very high. So one of the countries in Latin America, Chile, actually started creating in 2012 the invoicing system. That was just to be able to track transactions and understand taxation and improve uh, taxation, right? Um, was that just digitalization of processes that, that were paper-based? Exactly. So, so basically, you have a shift on which an invoice stops being just a paper that you sign and you, and you send to the other and you said, okay, I will pay you in 90 days uh, to become a full digital asset. So now it's like you see you can have a central system on which every invoice is registered. And that was in 2012. That doesn't appear for 10 years. Uh, from that point, 10 years later, in Europe, there was not, no conversation really about but, standards but and so on. So. This is not something, this happened from the public sector, right? It's not a private yes. sector initiative uh, uh, where, you know, some vendor is is selling uh, a SaaS uh, way of, of doing this. This is- no, ERPs, ERPs were doing something, but this is still like ERP sell it to a big corporate. The big corporate has the ERP, some kind of digital, but it was government sector. Like government start creating the infrastructure and the technology to centralize those invoices. And an additional thing happened five years later. And it was something that we call the central registry. So if I have an invoice, I can go and say, okay, now I'm not the owner anymore of those of these invoices. So let's assume I issue an invoice of $10 million. You tell me, okay, I, I need 90 days to pay you. And I, I need that. So it's 90 days that I have an, an, a paper that, that is worth $10 million. So I can use that money to actually start working, right? So I take that piece of paper and I go and find a bank or a factory or client and tell them, hey, look, I, can you advance me these 90 days, these $10 million, uh, charge me a fee, and, and I can have the money now, start working with the money, but that invoice is now yours. Yep. So for, for five years in Chile as well, it was like, I signed a paper again, so I have the invoice, and I said, okay, now the owner is, is client, I sign a paper, and then you go and, and, and collect the money at the end of the, of the process. Okay, so that, that's the second, the second step of maturity that happened that happened in this ecosystem. So they centralize that as well. 
So at some point, I just issue an invoice, it appears in the, in the invoicing system. And second, if I finance the invoice, I can digitally say, okay, this invoice is now from Alejandro. So you create a fully digital asset that you can finance in different, in different state of maturity and risk. And that actually create a big financial uh, market in Chile, and that started replicating through countries. So invoicing, for example, there is some standards that are being adopted worldwide, like it's called UBA 2.1. Europe is creating the full invoicing ecosystem based on UBA 2.1 uh, there. Uh, but then Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, now Brazil, like every country in Latin America start creating these invoicing and the regulation for central registries uh, of invoices, right? So you have, and when, when you introduce that central registry regulation, what we have seen in Chile and in Colombia, that is where we operate right now with Brazil, that when you introduce that, basically your, your market can multiply in orders of magnitude of 10 uh, of, the, of the financial assets you can have, which is kind of changing from like giving every supplier the capability to go to the market, finance their invoices, and then work with those invoices. It creates a big financial, a big financial market. Liquid, uh, uh, liquidity that that is is unbelievable suddenly, right? Exactly. And the, and the economy is actually accelerated. So there is a lot of, of uh, studies that show that okay, if you are basically unlocking the money, so is money that somehow is unlocked in the supply chain, uh, in the supply chain world. And then what you are what you are doing with this with this financial product is unlocking that money so people can maintain their, their companies and industries working at full speed. It's like imagine removing every every dollar that is stuck in the market in the market for 90 days, 60 days. Like yeah, you yeah. will have a lot of liquidity and money and money moving. Yeah, I mean cash flow management, working capital, everything, no bottlenecks there, right? You you're you're making the process seamlessly and hopefully also pricing the risks correctly in this process. And that is where they hire me. So, <laughs> so imagine imagine all that information. So we go, I know you are you are very passionate expert about open finance, open banking, open data. So imagine that governments in Latin America, 10 years before everybody was speaking about that, was creating kind of the first Open, uh, open finance ecosystem. Not completely open, but you have at least the central, the central information. That's that was crazy. Like when we speak about that with investors, and it's really top top tier investors. They say like, look, at the beginning I was I didn't believe that that innovation can came from there. But now that I see the data, it's like this is really, really, really crazy. It's like when when we go to our with with our suppliers, we work with them and we tell them like, okay, look. If you, uh, we are going to integrate to your invoicing system, and then we are understanding your purchases, sales, taxes on real time, like real time. Like you issue one invoice, and 55 minutes later, we have the invoice completely scored, risk analyzed, priced, and so on in the system. So we can finance that invoice. At the beginning, I was like, no, that's that's not even possible. And for me, 45 minutes was like, come on, that's too fast to have an invoice with everything ready to be financed. There are people that actually issue the invoice and immediately call client and said, hey, look, 
I have this invoice and our, our key accountant managers are like, look, I still don't see it. Like, it's like the, the invoice was issued, send it to the central system yeah. and so on. And the people is already trying to finance it. So that's a big shift in, in how they, they finance. It's, and it's, how they... it's email or SMS uh, type of uh, efficiency and speed, right? Exactly, exactly. So, so Effie, you, you know a lot about this. So imagine the effect that they start happening with the network effect of the data that you start happening. So every company that actually we integrate with, which is just having access to the invoicing system, and after that we are we are integrated, is credentials, authorization, and so on, and exposed in average two hundred other companies. So. I saw your purchases and your sales. And in that moment, you are, we know everyone that is connected with you. So every company exposed in average 200 connections, 200 connections, 200 connections. So very quickly it became a nice graph of information that you can use to, you, to you estimate have a risk. Real-time counterparty risk. I mean, I, I'm thinking of of the the financial crisis of of 2008 in the U.S. Right? It's got nothing to do with invoices, but they couldn't figure out the counterparty risks because they didn't have a, a system. It, it took some companies. It took them months. And here you're telling me that corporates or businesses can have real-time assessment of counterparty risk. Yes. Amazing. That's exactly what I mentioned. So, so if in Latin America, there was a blow up in one corporate, in one country, I mean, anybody that's in this network can immediately see what the exposure is because the exposure might be because of five degrees of separation, right? Not the direct exposure. Yes, so there are two things that we, for example, we do. So there are also some less elaborate, but still very useful sites on which you can go and say, and see when people register bankruptcy. So you can go and mark one of those notes as bankruptcy and start seeing who can be affected from that bankruptcy. One level connection, two level connection, third level connection, and so on. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. Now, Alejandro, uh, who... Who is taking advantage of this infrastructure? Um, where is it complete? Who is taking advantage? Is it fintechs only or also banks that are using this data and capability to build services? We give us a sense of where this is at, because I assume it's not scaled completely and, and there's you know, so it's an evolution. Uh, it's, it's an evolution. In Chile, it's pretty mature. Colombia now is one year after central registry introduction, so it's still very mature or maturing. People is understanding more of this. Brazil is introducing the central registry this year, uh, and so on. I think the main, the, the first ben ben uh, beneficiary of this end up being the supplier. So the per the the company that doesn't have that doesn't need to wait. 30, 60, 90 days to work with their money. That's the first, that's the first point. Definitely, like the main players in the bank uh, are the, the, the sorry, the main players in the in the product end up being the banks. So 
they have big big capitals and i will explain you where they play because they are not uh, covering the full the full ecosystem so that create a, a space where fintechs can can work as well we are in time working to make it infrastructure like we are working to create climate as a service which is now we know how to operate okay so we know how to operate supply chain finance we know how to process invoices estimate the risk set the price and so on so we are basically making a product that funders banks uh, and investors can use in order to or, like to allocate the money in this in this market that's that's the, the what we are trying to do so I would say everybody can 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 get a benefit. Even the payers can have a benefit there. So I will I will tell you how the payers of the invoice can have a benefit. There is something that is called rebate, and is okay. I still I still need some time to to so they they can postpone. Okay, I have thirty days, but my my payment calendar is the twenties. So can you finance those ten days that doesn't fit? So I pay everything on time, and then those ten days I pay you I pay you a fee. That's that's something that is called rebate and payers get a benefit from there. There is other type of benefit from, from payers uh, on the on the second on the last part of the of the invoice life cycle. And is sometimes these big corporates can have extra liquidity. Okay. So they said, okay, I, I still have some cash. Can I use it actually to finance my programs? And that's a, also a variation of the of the product that 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 can be that can be done. Um, I was going to mention about banks and why fintechs and so on. So what happened is, for example, banks used to go to the big corporate. So they go to the big corporate and they said, I want to create, and we have some of those programs with the largest uh, Colombian and, for example, the largest Chilean company is one of the programs we have. So we go to the, to the big corporate and we tell them, hey, let's open a supply chain finance program then they invite all the suppliers and then we finance with them that but that is very very controlled imagine that you are a supplier yeah like center for one second in the supplier you don't you don't want to to finance with one company with the other depending on who has the corporate program you are now with the central registry the owner of that particular invoice so you can go and say okay who is going to give me a better discount rate and which benefits which is more fast more digital so in time for example we is 20 minutes for our operation to happen like 20 minutes you go with the invoice and 20 minutes later the money is in your bank wow. for the banks it can have weeks so i go with an invoice and then they start asking me okay bring me your financial statements uh, and at the end well, what is the, the money process is in, bank. in these 20 minutes alejandro that you mentioned um is it a bidding process? How can I imagine that? So what we do is we have like two ways. I will explain you the, the, the nicer one, which is how we are operating in Chile with these big, big companies. So Prime is orchestrating this three-sided ecosystem, okay? Three-sided marketplace. So we sit in the middle and every single invoice is scored by risk. So we go and said, using an artificial intelligence model proprietary in the company, we said, what is the probability of this invoice not being paid 90 days post due date? And we divide them in four groups, like A+, plus, A, B, and C. The right. A+, plus are the best, in, like the, the more secure invoices, and the C ones, let's say, they are also, they have market. 
Okay. Yeah. And then founders just simply go to the founder side and said, look, I want to invest uh, this amount of money in A plus this amount of money in A, this amount of money in B and C. And this is the rates I'm going to, to charge. What we do is the supplier then in their own platform and so on, they can go select six invoices, uh, discount, the prices just get assigned from the from the founder configurations, and that's it. Then you can disburse the money on the other side. Interesting. Interesting. And and, and, and the challenging part, Effie, the data has to be closed. The data loop has to be closed. So we disburse the money. Now where the payment happened. So the debtor has to at the end of the 90 days make the payment and we need to register that payment. And there is order of the innovations that Latin America has is because you have the central registry, you know the final owner of that invoice. So you can like make a payment and define that payment for which invoice was for. So you close the loop of the data and then you know wow. what is happening with the invoices. And, and this, uh, Alejandro, doesn't exist um, in the developed world. What, what, what exists in the US or, or in Europe? So, so let me go Europe. Europe. Europe has nice things and challenging things. So Europe, for example, is Portugal is releasing the central registry 2024. Germany, I think, is, is scaling their invoicing system to B2B in 2024 or 25, uh, if, I, if I don't remember. So if you see, it's like 12 years uh, of difference between Chile and, and what is happening with Europe. U.S. has uh, some particular stuff. It's like in U.S., uh, a, a document, a paper with a signature is still a valid invoice. So, so in U.S., it's, it's, it's way more, more challenging to, to scale it. There, there are strategies. We, ha we have been studying the U.S. market for a couple of years, trying to, to understand how even using that uh, type of invoicing and so on uh, can be financed. So there are some uh, supply chain finance companies because in the U.S. Is what you're saying that in the U.S. we don't even have the first step where the invoices are, are digitized, dematerialized, if you want. Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. So you have the payment networks, and 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 basically maybe through the payment networks, uh, something something can be can be done, but the like the solution is invoicing system, central registry, and then the market of this type of assets uh, scale fast. Very very interesting. Oh, Alejandro, we we could talk uh, days uh, about um, uh, both what's going on in Latin America. In, in this uh, topic. I want to, to ask you, as, as a last part of our conversation, if you can share with us some of your thoughts, given the hype that is going on with AI in financial services, chat GPT, and, and all this uh, stuff. I mean, me personally, I think that the first... Uh, um, subsectors in finance that are going to see more faster and sooner impact uh, is, is the investment world uh, because they have been familiar for a very long time with AI and the advancements in AI will be much more easily integrated, especially in research analysts, you know, all sorts of 
research in different assets. And because we can train on specific knowledge bases that have to do, you know, with, with reports around companies or compliance and so on. That is my, my opinion and less on consumer banking and in, in, in these areas. Um, I don't know, what is your uh, first reaction if you want to, to all this hype? I, I think it's, it's very interesting what is happening in the field and, and the challenges that the financial sector have. So I think there, like actually in finances, there was more quantitative analysis like for years. Like there are the quants, the risk analysts, the analysts and so on. They were doing very nice stuff. What is the challenge there? Like what AI can change for them is that now you have way more data. I give you an I gave you already some some idea of what, what type of data you, you are having. So now it's not only the, the formulation of the how these finance can be modeled and so on. It's like you can really take a model and a pile of data and go and see if you can make it, if you can train it better. You know what will be the challenge there is that financial sector is still ruled by the traditional way of doing this stuff. So something that we as data scientists or AI experts and so on we face is when you have a model, sometimes you have a lot of confirmation bias from the stakeholders. Like you go and you said, okay, look, my model, this is the performance and so on. And they said, but why you are not taking into account this variable? Like that variable has to be the one that to be used. And you go and you train, you use the variable and it said, no, it's not significant for the performance of the model. And they are not, no, but I need it because I, I know by my experience that that's useful. And, and that friction is super difficult to, 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 to work with. And related to the other side that is, 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 is work, like it's been in the, in the internet and so on, very, very hot these days, generative, generative AI is like, of course, like, I think it's amazing technology. Like I use it very frequently, but I will tell you how I use it. For me, it's a creative assistant at this point. It's like, if I need to think something and start uh, sketching something out or drafting an idea, it's a perfect assistant. To improve the content of, of the things we are creating is a perfect assistant. But to really jump and being able to make risk analysis and so on, there, there will be some time. I've seen so, some uh, interesting initiative, Bloomberg, JP Morgan, they are training and fine-tuning these models on their own data sets. Definitely that, that, that can be helpful. But I, I, think the, I still think there is a lot of uh, um, things to do with AI and, and how, how it will change in the financial sector. I, I really think the main challenge will be how to do things different, like how to assume that a model can give you better results even if the traditional variables are not considered. That's something to, to, to really uh, tackle. So, so I, I mean, this is a, a very important and interesting insight that you're sharing with us because um, it, it also makes challenge, challenging the fact that we want AI to be explainable. And this is clashing, sort of speak, with, with um, um, the traditional or the, the, the 
professional thinking? Depending of how you want it. So, and this is again something that I used to talk uh, with Andrew a lot, and Andrew mentioned it in the conference. This is the classic question that people make to Andrew, and the best answer I have seen is coming from him is do you need it explainable or do you need to trust the system? Okay. So do you do you know how medicine actually every pill we take change our bodies? I don't think so. But now you trust it because there are experiments, there are metrics, and they can show you, okay, this actually solve the, the health issue issue you have. So and, and and data scientists need to be very good on that. So manage the stakeholders and tell them, okay, look, these are metrics. At the end, you what what matters to you are the metrics of the system. Like what is the accuracy, the accuracy, the precision, the recall, how many money are you leaving in the table, how many approvals you are doing, not understanding what exactly variable is, is doing it. And, and something something that very frequently happens is when someone goes to a more like basically why why current systems are not explainable is because they are non-linear and, and more complex so you cannot just really go and say this yeah. is the variable that is playing with right uh, but what happens is when someone trains a simpler model just to make it explainable it's used a couple of times and then discarded like nobody check any more the explainability of the model like once you trust that it's like okay i don't want to go and check those those uh, variables every time to make a decision now tell me the decision i will make it so very quickly you make that shift and and something that is is important in the sector is tra traceability uh, explainability sometimes is confused with traceability because auditors and so on want to to you to tell why you make some decisions. It's not in every country. Like some countries has stronger regulations about that. But then people said, okay, no, because auditors need me to explain every single decision. Then I need to have a explainable model, yeah. right? Maybe not. Maybe you just need to maintain what are the inputs to the model in that particular decision? What was the output of the model? So you can go and say, okay, I cannot explain you what exactly combination you made for that decision, but this was the system of the models. Maybe that's a, a point in the middle of this of this never-ending conversation of explainable versus not explainable. Very interesting. I think that you're also confirming the fact that um, the new beyond the policies, we really have to think differently to use a technology like this in a different way than than we are used to because the yeah. types of ai that we've used up to now and ai is an umbrella term right i mean it's it's a huge uh, uh, sort of um sector or uh, different uh, approaches and now we are at a phase where we want to use these advancements but we are thinking in the old way or the traditional way uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and sometimes like regulation is also a big conversation, uh, but sometimes it's like we are creating a regulation for something we don't fully understand yet. So we are working, we are having the the building modules and so on. There are also some some conversation about maybe the large companies that are taking the advantage are just asking to regulate because they are already captured. An advantage position so i don't want people to innovate as fast as i could when when, when there was lucy lucy regulation 
but that's something very interesting to keep reading. I know Europe is working on these regulatory frameworks and so on. So changes yeah. will happen and 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 things will will evolve. And and we need to uh, continue discussing so people understand more because it's out of uh, confusion and 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 there's a learning process, right? That that we all need to go through. And we need to go through it together. Uh, so, so we use these technologies for the good, you know, the, the the broader good in different areas, right? Whether it's impacting financial lives, it can be in in medicine, it can be. I mean, I'm I'm reading great progress, especially in the medical uh, profession. Um, that that is just very inspiring so uh, i feel that right now there's more hype and there's more fears out there and more confusion created rather than you know taking the time to talk to people like you and others and discuss and understand more and formulate uh, opinions uh, right exactly and and like you know like sometimes it's like when you start talking about that and so on, it's like a lot of these fears are actually coming from a lot of media, which actually are just very superficial stuff. Like there is no really fast way to do AI. Like, like there is a lot of effort. Like, of course, there are some technology that can be used, chat GTP for some specific tasks and so on. But doing models, for example, the financial sector take a lot of time. Like lot of time, lot of data, curating data, organizing the data, maintaining the pipelines. And, and that's a lot of work to do. It's like if we start adding extras like extra tasks, it will be impossible to 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 invest and and, and creating real uh, AI systems. I understand. Alejandro, I, I'd like to thank you and close our uh, discussion with something that uh, is out of the the finance and the data world. Tell us, what your hobbies are or what you're reading or what you're listening share with us uh, something that is more personal I, I i don't have the the book i'm reading uh, actually i saw it on your on your linkedin or in in linkedin it was the fintechs on the platform economies I'm oh, reading that of, the book I'm reading right now. of paulo exactly so so i'm reading that book i found it very interesting because it's, it's very related what we are doing in, in, in LATAM with climate. So I'm finding some ideas there. It's like I already read once and then I go back highlighting some of the ideas that, that we have. That's what I'm reading. And as for me, uh, I like cycling. So I'm cycling uh, two, three times per, per week. I just trying to stay uh, at least not in bad shape. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, Alejandro. It was really great speaking with you. Thank you, Effie. It was a very interesting conversation. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook. 
facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.